God is, God is good, and, I, and I'm just um, uh, really blessed this morning. I want to dive into Philippians chapter 4 with you. We're going to look at verses 10 through 23. We're going to finish Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. And so to kind of set this up, to kind of get this started, what, what Paul is really talking about here at the end of this letter is the secret, you ready for this? The secret of contentment. The secret of contentment. And as I was thinking about, you know, what does contentment look like? What does contentment mean? What does it, what does it mean to be con- content? See, a lot of times we, a lot of, a lot of times we equate contentment with having all that we want or being happy, right? Being happy, feeling, feeling happy, feeling happy. It's all about feelings. And as my lovely wife Kristen reminds me all the time, feelings are fleeting. Um, feelings are fleeting, but it, but we equate contentment with this idea of feeling happy or feeling like we have everything that we want. But I found this little definition of contentment that goes a little bit like this: contentment is not the fulfillment of what you want. Contentment is not the fulfillment of what you want, but the realization of what you already have. Contentment is not. Contentment is not the fulfillment of what you want, but the realization of how much you already have. When I, when I, when I look and, and sit and, and think about um, how much God has blessed me with, it's overwhelming. If you are to take a moment right now and, and maybe write on a piece of paper in front of you or take the back of your bulletin where you can take sermon notes and just write, what has God blessed you with? I'm sure we could fill that paper we could fill that paper. We could all talk about things that we've been blessed with. I mean, just think about it this way. Everybody take a deep breath. God blessed you with that. Right there. That was a blessing from God. The fact that we can take a deep breath and breathe and have air in our lungs is a blessing from God. I also thought about it this way. When we think about contentment, when we think about contentment, we can equate it to, we can illustrate it with uh, a thermometer versus a thermostat. Anybody ever heard this? Thermometer versus a thermostat. The differences between a thermometer and a thermostat. I don't know about your family, but we can't get a working thermometer in our house, right? Because the, 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 the things just go up and they go down and they're all around. And, and what does the thermometer do? It responds to its environment. It doesn't change anything around it. It just registers the temperature. It's always going up and it's always going down, right? That's a thermometer. A thermostat is different. A thermostat is different. In fact, in fact, we have smart thermostats here. Um, they're, they're smarter than Steve and I, really, but we have smart um, thermostats <clears throat> here. We can, um, there's an app for everything. We can be sitting in the warmth of our home, and it can be cold outside, and we can bump the temperature up, and then it communicates with these things that are hanging on the wall with those little red lights back there. It communicates, and it turns the heat on in here, so that when we walk in, it's not freezing, and we're waiting for the temperature to go up. We walk in, and we say, ah, that's nice, right? And so they're, they're smart. And, and what that does is it changes the environment around it. A thermostat changes things around it. It regulates its surroundings. Many of our struggles come, many of our struggles come when we operate like a thermometer and lack 
the power to change things. Many of our problems come, many of our issues come in life when we operate like a thermometer, just going up, going down, going all around, being tossed to and fro by life instead of, instead of changing the things around us, having the power to change things around us. Instead, therefore, they change us. And that's why I think it was such a God thing to get that verse this morning. Acts 1.8, right? You'll receive power when the what? Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Talk about a difference maker. Talk about a difference maker. Because so many of us try to be thermostats in our own strength and all we end up being is a thermometer. So many of us try to, try to push and pull and, and, and twist the things of life so hard being a thermostat and really all we land on is a thermometer. Being tossed around, feeling at the end of the day beaten. And Paul was a thermostat. Paul was a thermostat. Paul changed things around him. He changed people's perspective. He pressed into things that sometimes, sometimes he might have, might, might should have been quiet, right? I mean, think about the situation he's in right now in prison, awaiting, awaiting a potential death sentence. Awaiting a potential death sentence. And yet we looked at last week, rejoice. And again I say, rejoice. How can he think like that? He's the thermostat. He's not living according to the power of this world. He's not living according to his own strength. He's living tapping into a deeper strength. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. That's what I want us to land with this morning because that's what Paul lands with this morning. Contentment. Contentment. Um, One one more thing before we jump into Philippians chapter 4. Contentment is not complacency. Complacency stops. Complacency gets to a place, gets to a level, and says, you know what? This feels good. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. I mean, what happens with the thermostat? It gets to the temperature that we set it to, and then it listens. It, it not listens. That would be weird. Um, but it feels, right? And when the temperature drops below that, guess what? It kicks on. It kicks on. It says, no, i got to regulate this thing. i got to keep going. Complacency would just stop. Complacency would just stop. Contentment, contentment doesn't just stop. Another word for contentment in the Greek is actually self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency. So what Paul is talking about here is not being complacent, is not getting, a pla- not getting to a level where we say, you know what, that's good enough, but getting to a place of self-sufficiency. Getting to a place of self-sufficiency. You know, I, I um, talked to some counselors before and done some counseling studies and, and all of that stuff. You know the goal of counseling? The goal of counseling, at the core of counseling and going to a, a counselor is to be able to have the tools to self-counsel. That's the goal. The end goal of a counselor is to work with a patient, is to work with a person or work with a family and give them the tools to be able to self counsel. And that's what Paul is doing with this letter to the church of Philippi. Hey, listen, you've got some stuff going on. You've got some things happening. Here are some models to follow. Here are some challenges. Here are some things I want to tell you because my heart for you is that you would be self 
sufficient. Not a thermometer, not tossed by circumstances, not tossed by feelings, not thrown all around emotionally, physically, spiritually, but stable, self-sufficient, content. A place of contentment. And so he gives us some things in Philippians chapter 4, some resources of contentment that make us thermostats, that make us self-sufficient. Read along with me. Philippians 4, starting in verse 10. We're going to read through the end of the chapter and then we'll come back and talk about this thing. Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. That's good. Verse 18. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he closes saying this, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So, three resources, three essentials for contentment. Number one comes from verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Look at God's timing here. The church before didn't have the opportunity to be concerned for Paul and his needs in the ministry that Paul was carrying out. But now they were. One essential, the first essential for us being self-sufficient, for us finding contentment in our lives, is the overruling providence of God. The overruling providence of God. Some of you may say, what's the providence of God? I'm glad you asked. We're going to talk about it. The overruling providence of God. Because in a, in a, in a scientific uh, day, in the day of scientific achievement, we hear and, and talk even less. We hear less and, and even talk less and less about the providence of God. See, I think sometimes we get this idea that the world that we live in is a vast machine. And that even God Himself can't interrupt the wheels that are turning. The providence of God is that He is in control of everything. The providence of God is that nothing, nothing, say it back to me, nothing, 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 nothing 
takes God by surprise. Nothing takes God by surprise. And see, we get into trouble when, again, we're trying to push and pull and drive our agenda because we want to see this happen or, or we feel like this would be more helpful or we feel like this would be a game changer. No, 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 no. It goes back to the providence of God. It goes back to the providence of God. I told you the story last week of being up at a camp, right? And, and it was about 12 minutes before I was supposed to speak to a bunch of middle school and high school students. And, 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 and Russ was nowhere to be found because of a bug bite. He was up in the nurse's station or something. It wasn't a bug bite. I'm just kidding. I'm just giving Russ a hard time. And I told you, I, you know, I called, I called my mentor and, and he, he talked to me and he kind of talked me through it. And, and, and you know... What's amazing to me as I preach week after week, you know, Sunday comes every week. It's crazy how that happens. How no matter how much, I should be careful when I say this, no matter how much I prepare or don't prepare, God's going to have His way. No matter how much I stress about this, or how much I stress about that, or, or, or panic because, oh, oh no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this, and it could be edgy, and it could open a can of worms, and who knows how many emails I'm going to get about this right here, or comments, or people aren't going to like this, so they're not going to like me. God's in control. It's His message. There's a providence of God that's over ruling our thoughts, our wants, our feelings, our agendas, our desires. I was talking with the men last night and it was overwhelming to think about Psalm 139. How He knit us together in our mother's womb. He knew everything about us before we were even born. He knew the struggle that you're facing today. He knew the situation that you're going to face this week. He knew the thing that's caused you to lose sleep over the last four months. He knew it. And guess what? It's not taking Him by surprise. The issue comes when we're trying to fight those battles and we're trying to climb those mountains on our own strength. And not trusting and relying on the providence of God that's unchanging. The first essential to being self-sufficient is the overruling providence of God. That He's in control. Say that. He's in control. 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 Number two. Number two. The unfailing power of God. The unfailing power of God. Look at verses 11-13. through 13. He says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now, I, I think that we could read that a little bit differently today and probably, pro, uh, you know, I, I would have a little bit of issue with this verse because I would much rather, church, it read this way. I have learned in every situation to get what I want. Right? I mean, how, how many of you say, wow, yeah, we could, we could do that. I mean, that, that would fit me. That would feel great for me. That's not what he says. I've learned in every situation to be content. How, Paul? How? 
I mean, think, think about it again. Go back with me. Kristen and I had a chance to go to Israel uh, years back, and, and, and we, got the, we got the opportunity. It was the first day of touring, and we went to this place called Caiaphas' house. Now, we know Caiaphas' house because that's the place where they took Jesus after they arrested him, right? And, and in Caiaphas' house, a lot like other rulers of that time, had prisons attached to the house, right? And so, and so we were touring Caiaphas' house, and they were like, okay, we're going to go see the dungeons. I was like, oh, okay, dungeons. I'm thinking food storage, right? And they were like, no, prisons. We're going to go see the prisons. Three levels of prisons, right? And so picture this with me, right? You go to level one. There's still some light. You can kind of see some things. It's cold. It's damp, right? But it's, it, it's doable. I'm thinking, okay, this would be a middle school camping trip right here. I can live with this, right? right? And so that was, that's where you put the people that weren't so bad, right? They were just kind of in holding. Then you go down a level, and it's kind of the intermediate, right? The people that are probably going to get out of prison, but just not sure what the penalty is going to be yet, right? So they're middle, they're middle of the road, and, and, and again, you can still kind of see some daylight, although um, a lot of the light that you see is more from in the house or candles or different things that are lit, right? And then they take us to the third level, right? In a room that's probably about the size of the stage, and we fit about 50, 60 people in there, and it's freezing, and, it's, and then they, they say, okay, close the door. They close the door, it's completely dark. Completely dark. Completely dark. And Paul, who's sitting here awaiting a death sentence, chained more than likely to one or two of the Praetorian guards who were the toughest of the tough. We talked about it a few weeks ago. You can go back and listen to that message. They were the toughest of the tough um, of that day. He's chained to them. He's down in the bottom. And yet he is writing to the church at Philippi, I have learned to be content in everything. Come on, Paul. Really? You've learned to be content in everything? Look at your situation. Wake up. That doesn't make sense. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Paul, stop. Look around you. You're not in a good situation. He wasn't living that way. He wasn't living in a way to respond to things in the ways that would make sense to us. Or in ways that would, that would feel good. Because why was he there? Preaching about the power of God. Right? Preaching about the power of God. He didn't live his life according to resources that were outward. And if you think about it, all of nature depends on hidden resources. I mean, trees, right? They plant their roots deep down so that they can go down and find water and minerals and nourishment. Rivers. Rivers are fed by these snow-capped mountains that are up, and as they melt, they, the water just, just comes down and flows down. All of nature depends on these hidden resources, and Paul no doubt depended on this hidden resource. Because here in Philippians chapter 4, we find one of the most misquoted verses in all the Bible. You ready for this? Because this might tweak us in some ways. 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. One of the most misquoted verses in all the Bible. Let me prove it to you. I think it was Evander Holyfield or Muhammad Ali or somebody like that. Big boxer on the back of his robe as he's walking out to the boxing ring on the back of his robe said, I can do all things through Christ. Right? He walks in the, in the ring and punches out the heavyweight champion of the world or some whatever, whatever and gets the, gets the belt, right? Knocks him out and everybody's like, oh yeah, I can be like that. I'm, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then it was the next fight, I think. He got knocked out in the third round. Oh, no, no, Jesus isn't real. Can't do all things. Or, or like our kids today that, you know, Steph Curry has... Um, Philippians 4.13 written on his shoes I can do all things and so you know these kids are like I can you know I can do all things I can go break three point shooting records you know I can do this I can do that right I can do this I can do that it's written everywhere it's on bumper stickers it's all of that but here's the reality I can't I can't I I can't The reason that that verse is misquoted is, it because, is because it gives us the impression that we can. But brother, sister, you and I are nothing special. The Bible says apart from Christ we can do nothing. Paul writes this verse because he's saying, I've learned the secret of being content. I've learned the secret of being content. Guess what it is? Center everything in my life around Jesus. Center everything in my life around Jesus. Because what we do so many times when it comes to this verse is we, can, we say, I can do all things. I can do all things. What we forget is the back end of that verse, that's the harder part of that verse, that's the crux of that verse, that says, through Christ who strengthens me. Because apart from Him, I can do nothing. With Him, I can walk in power. With Him, I can get through this season that God has me in. With Him, I can get through this difficult relationship. With Him, I can get through this financial struggle. With Him, I can get through you fill in the blank. But apart from Him, I'm nothing. Apart from Him, I'm nothing. So what's your resource? What is your resource for life today? What resources are you tapping into? And in order to live in a contentment like Paul lived in that didn't make sense, that shouldn't have happened, that, that I look and read and say, Paul, man, open your eyes and just look around you. Because, because there had to be a human element where he just said, this stinks. Like, I don't want to be here. But yet you read this and it's, opposite end of the spectrum where I'm content I have all that I need God's in control he's got this he's got this so what resources are you tapping into today and then we see at the end 
the unchanging promise of God. The overruling providence of God. The unfailing the unfailing power of God. And then number three, the unchanging promise of God. See, here's, 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 where, here's, where, we, here's where we've got to get to it. Here's where we've got to get to it. Because so many of us, so many of us, when situations, when life happens to us, we, we could probably spend days, we could probably spend days in a room this size, we could spend days and say, you know what, this has happened to me, this has happened to me, this has happened to me. And, this, and the question that we so often go to in conversations like that is, why? Why? God, why did you do this? God, why did you, why did you, you know, take my loved one away? Why did you, um, um, you know, do this or do that? One question I grew up asking all of the time. Anybody that I could find that thought they had an answer to a question, I would look at them and say, why did God put my brother in a wheelchair? Tell me. Why? Because there's a temptation for me to get really frustrated with God about that. God, if God loves me so much, if God loves my family so much, why? Why would He do that? And there was one night, I was watching TV, and this evangelist named David Ring, who has cerebral palsy, gets on. And so I was listening to him. I thought it was pretty interesting. And he said... When life hits you hard, don't ask God why. Ask God what. Don't ask God why. Ask God what. Let me tell you something. It takes a power that is not of ourselves when we're walking through difficult situations and difficult circumstances to step back and say, okay, God, all-powerful, all-knowing, providential, in-control God. Everything in me wants to look at this situation and ask why. But instead, God, what are you teaching me through this? God, what are you trying to accomplish through this? Because God, this doesn't feel good. This doesn't make sense. So what are you doing here? Because the promise is this. That even though my circumstances change, even though things around me change, even though the status of things shifts, God never changes. God never changes. God never changes. God's not surprised by the status of our culture right now. He's not. No matter where you stand with politics or this or that, God's not surprised. God's not surprised. I mean, I think some people have this idea of God that He's, he's up there like, oh no, what am I going to do now? Nope. 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 He's in control. He's unchanging. His promises are true forever. So whatever you're walking in right now, we have a choice. We have a choice. 
And many of us do the, 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 the first. Not many of us do the latter. See, see, we have a choice in the circumstance that we're in right now, in the, in, the, in the situation that you're battling right now. You can play the victim. God's picking on me. This is what's happening, right? And, and we, we hear that. We see that so often in relationships around water coolers at work where, where, where you know, that, that drama, right, comes in. You're, you're just not going to believe what I'm going through this week. You're just not going to believe what I'm, what I'm dealing with right now. We can play the victim. Or we can claim the victor. And say, you know what, no matter what happens today, no matter what happens tomorrow, no matter what happens in this situation, no matter what happens, God knows the end of the story. And so I'll trust Him. I'll trust His providence. I'll claim His power. And I'll believe His promises. That they're true. And that they're good for me. I mean, when Paul writes here to the church at Philippi, he says, I'm thankful, I'm overwhelmed for the part that you've played in my life. The investment that you made in my life. I mean, think about it. He, he goes back and he refers to Epaphroditus, the guy that brought the gift, the common man that we talked about, I think, week three or four in this message series of Philippians. You know, because because we, don't, we don't hear a lot of Epaphroditus. But think about Epaphroditus putting his life on the line to be faithful from the church of Philippi to Paul. Because, because he was making risks left and right and even making this trip to go deliver this gift to Paul. This investment. This investment into Paul's ministry. Because if he gets associated with Paul, guess what? He could end, he could end up right next to Paul, chained up. Oh, you're one of those guys? Give me your rest. Ministry that costs nothing, accomplishes nothing. And yet we walk around, we walk around panicked, panicked, panicked. I mean, Russ and I even, even you know, spent time thinking about, you know, should we, should we even say anything about the financial gift? Should we even do anything because... Because here's, here's, here's the reality. People are just going to think when they hear that, oh, yep, there it is. The church is after my money. Church is after my money. Church is after my money. But look what Paul says. He says, listen, you know what? That investment wasn't into me. It was into the ministry. It was into the fruit of the kingdom. It was into the fruit of the kingdom. And I love what Paul tells the church at Corinth. I will spend and be spent for the sake of your souls. I will spend and be spent for the sake of the kingdom. I will spend and be spent for the sake of your souls. So Paul had these resources that he learned to be content. The providence of God. The power of God. And the promises of God. Trusting the promises of God. What would it look like for you to be content? What would it look like for you to be self-sufficient in those things? When I pray, when I pray, I love to follow a model. Now, I don't always have time to, 
to, to do this in completion. But when I, when I pray, and some of you know this because I've talked about it at prayer meeting quite a bit, I use this model called the ACTS model, A-C-T-S. ACTS model of praying. Rick's nodding his head. Apparently he's used it too. Um, it goes a little bit like this. You start out with adoration. The A is for adoration, right? Adoration, which, which is basically recognizing who God is. Right? God, you're creator. God, you're provider. God, you're, you're the ultimate promise keeper. God, you're this, you're that. And so typically what I'll do when I'm praying is I'll try, to, I'll try to pinpoint one attribute of God that just is overwhelming me that day or that week. That I'm just in awe of. You know, your provision or your, your creation as creator or, or this or that. And so I'll just spend time talking to God about how awesome He is in that area. And then secondly, I go to confession. The sea confession. Because what I'm doing here is, is I'm reminding myself in prayer, in conversation with God of who He is and who I am. <laughs> because it's hard, it's hard to pray, it's hard to confess, it's hard to walk into confession and think at the end of that that I'm awesome. Right? Which I'm not, by the way. Just don't tell my kids. Yet. Yet. Give me a couple more days. Um, <laughs> so it reminds me of who God is. It reminds me of who I am. And then you get to Thanksgiving, the T. So we've got A, adoration, C, confession, T, thanksgiving. And this is where I thank God for all the blessings, right? We did the, we did the deep breath earlier, right? God, I'm thankful for the air in my lungs. I'm thankful for the wife that's way out of my league that you blessed me with. God, I'm thankful for the four rugrats that are running around this house. God, I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for that. God, you're amazing in trusting me with everything that you trusted me with. I'm thankful for this church. I'm blown away at what you've done. You know, only you could have done this thing. God, I'm just so thankful for this. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for friendships. I'm thankful for you get the picture. And by the time I get to the S, which is where I get to supplication, which is your requests, right? Which, how amazing is it that God asks to be involved in our life in the areas that, he, that, that, that we want Him, that we need Him? Right? He says, he says, make your request known to God. Make your request known. Right? What an incredible invitation from our Maker. Supplication. God, this, God, I need you in this area. God, here's a health concern. God, here's a situation that this family's walking in. God, just be with them. So on and so forth. And when we pray, we remind ourselves of who God is. We remind ourselves of who we are. And it's in that, right, where we center ourselves around who He is. That in my life, that's the best way to find contentment. It's the best way to be self-sufficient. It's hard to play the victim because I, I like to write my prayers out. It's hard to play the victim when you stuff a sheet full of who God is, who I am, and the things that I have to be thankful for.
So if I could challenge you this morning, is there an area in your life where you're not content? Is there an area of your life where you're tempted to play the victim? Is there an area of your life where you need to claim the providence of God? Where you need to walk in the power of God? Where you need to trust the promises of God in your life? What does it look like? What does it look like for a group of believers in southern Maine? What does it look like if we find contentment in who Jesus is in our lives? What does it look like to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit day by day, moment by moment as His church? As we go, as we go, make disciples. Walk in His power, trust His promises, claim His victory, claim His providence in your life. Can I pray for you?